The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, July 1st at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and would like one, there's a number of them uh, behind the chairs uh, on some nice black stands just waiting for you. Uh, You can grab one back there. Um, If you want to keep that, please, please do. You are more than welcome to that. Uh, We are uh, very glad to be together this morning. Uh, For the past few weeks, uh, Robert has been leading us through a look at uh, a number of psalms um, with a great and uh, unique emphasis on uh, the, the confidence and security uh, that is found in Christ alone, um, but specific to those psalms. As, as the psalmist, uh, in the midst of difficulty, in the, in the midst of uh, persecution, in the midst of uh, suffering, uh, turns again and again to find uh, their security uh, completely in Christ. And so it's been a very encouraging time to hear that. And so uh, the next... A few weeks, we're going to take uh, for you to actually get to hear a few of the other pastors. Uh, We want to take this opportunity uh, in in many ways for you to to be able to know us a little bit more, uh, for for you to know uh, our our hearts. And we're specifically taking uh, passages from the Bible um, that have been transformative in our our lives, um, that that God has used to change us in some way, that God has used uh, to to save us or uh, to to make a huge impact in our life. Uh, And so when Robert threw this uh, idea out, um, I I really didn't have any question on where I would turn. And so, um, again, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Um, This has been referred to as the greatest chapter in the Bible. I don't know if you can really make that claim, but uh, it's pretty good. So uh, let's read together. Uh, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Father, uh, uh, be with us this morning. Um, Lead us, uh, teach us. Um, uh, remind us of, of all that you have done uh, for us, all that you are doing for us, all that you are. Um, and, and in the midst of that, build a confidence and security in us uh, that will uh, change our lives, uh, make us bold to go and proclaim uh, your gospel, uh, make us bold to, to, to live the way that you have called us to live. Um, remind us of these truths today, um, impact our hearts, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I know many of you may be familiar uh, with this passage. Um, if you are, Uh, or are not, my hope is that these truths would renew and restore our restless questioning hearts this morning, uh, that being reminded of the unshakable love of Christ uh, would become a very present help to you and for all of us. I hope that we would hear of the great depths and extent of God's love 
and, and what He has done on our behalf, and that would overwhelm all of the fears and worries that we have in our lives, and that we would turn to Him in complete confidence and, and run boldly to Him. Uh, my wife and I moved to Richmond uh, in 2010. Um, we moved here from uh, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Um, uh, we uh, came to Redemption Hill uh, in a time where we were not looking uh, for a church. We were not in a good place uh, with the church. And then someone at her work uh, told, uh, told her that they were going here. And the same day, uh, I got an email from an old friend who told me about this church. And we came home and shared that with each other and said, well, uh, we should probably go. Um, that's a little too much to just pass up. Uh, so, so we went, and uh, God has, has used this church in many ways. Um, but specifically, He has used this passage uh, in many ways. During, during those times... Uh, for two or three years before that, uh, two or three years after we had moved to Richmond, um, I felt like my, my life uh, was marked by personal loss, failure, uh, shame, guilt, um, and all of these uh, led me to, to question and doubt God. Um, not necessarily that God existed, not necessarily that the God of the Bible existed, um, but simply uh, question, uh, question God and who He was, who He was in my life, what that actually meant. Um, there are so many incredible uh, truths in these verses. Um, I wish we could get to all of them. Uh, there's, there's wonderful verses, wonderful sermons out there that spend a lot of time on these verses, and it's great, but we have one morning. So uh, in, in this for me, there were two big questions that I was wrestling with during those years uh, that God used these verses specifically, not only to answer, but to build a confidence and security in Him that I didn't actually believe uh, was possible. Uh, those those uh, questions were, do you believe that God is actually for you? And do you practically believe that nothing in this world is more powerful than God? Um, uh, specifically, um, I didn't believe those at that time. Um, I did believe in the God of the Bible. I did believe uh, that He was true and that He was real. I just didn't think He was for me. Uh, I, I didn't think that He actually cared about me. Um, there were so many things that had gone on in our life that had just convinced me, uh, if, if this is real and God is for all these other Christians around here, it can't be true for me. Um, uh, it felt like anxiety, depression, fear, bitterness uh, had taken hold of my heart in a way I, I honestly wasn't sure I could be set free from. You, you know, if, if you've ever dealt with these things, uh, you get to a point where you're just not sure you can imagine your life without them. Uh, but God used this passage uh, to turn my attention and my gaze to Him, to build a confidence in Him that wasn't grounded on everything changing for the better, because that's, that's how I had laid out for Him, how He was going to take care of me. Everything needed to change and get better. Um, uh, but it wasn't, uh, that's, that wasn't what it was grounded on. It was grounded on an unshakable assurance in who He is and what He has done. Uh, so let me just say before we really get into this, uh, if you are dealing with these feelings, uh, any of those things uh, this morning or have been recently, um, I, I actually thought for a moment uh, in, in the midst of this, I would have everybody raise their hands and say, you know, if you deal with anxiety, fear, uh, and then I realized we're just going to confirm all your fears, you know, right here, raising your hand in the midst of it. So, so I decided not to do that. So I will simply say, if you are dealing with these things, uh, it is natural to feel alone. It is natural to feel isolated. Uh, it is natural to feel like no one else is actually going through these things. Even in the midst of church, uh, it's easy to go in and say, everyone is, is doing well. God is really behind all these people, but I'm not sure where I'm at with this. Um, it is natural to feel alone in this. But God, uh, God wonderfully uh, gives us some version of do not fear or fear not or don't worry about t tomorrow uh, right around 365 times in the Bible. So enough for, 
uh, one for every day of the year. Uh, there's not much to be drawn from that other than uh, God doesn't emphasize something that much because one out of a hundred of us uh, deals with anxiety, uh, because five percent of us uh, uh, deal with fear in our life. Uh, he emphasizes it that much, as, as much as he does, because all of us need to know uh, daily, hourly, consistently that God is with us, He is for us, and that nothing is more powerful than He is. Uh, we will need to be reminded that there is nothing in this world that can separate us uh, from His love. Um, we not only need that because you might deal with anxiety or fear, but you need that to actually live the life that God has called you to live, uh, to live the way, to live boldly the way He has called you to live it. Um, and, so, and so we all are in need of that. Um, as I said, I couldn't imagine my life living without anxiety. Um, it settled into my heart. Uh, it took hold of me. Uh, uh, the way I describe it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, I worried about things every once in a while as they came up. Uh, it honestly felt like uh, those moments where I wasn't uh, filled with anxiety, those, those moments where I was focused on something else, felt like I was gasping for air and trying to get as much air into my lungs as I can. Uh, those moments in, in movies uh, that freak me out where someone is plunged uh, hundreds of feet below water and then they swim up and up and they defeated the sea monster and they swim up and up and they get up to the top finally and you don't know if they got enough breath and they just suck it all in uh, and then the sea monster comes back and wraps their tentacle around them and drags them back under. Uh, that's kind of what it felt like for me during that time, uh, that, that again and again I was just going and trying to get air and I just couldn't keep enough of it uh, in, in my lungs. So, so Paul speaks to us and builds a case uh, for who God is and what he's done so that we aren't just uh, sitting around telling ourselves, which is what I was doing for a while, and I think what many of us uh, do when we are dealing with these things, not just sitting around and telling ourselves, don't fear, don't worry, reminding ourselves. The Bible says don't worry about anything, uh, reminding ourselves that, that we've got to stop worrying, and now uh, I'm kind of worried about the fact that I can't stop worrying, and so I've just added to my, to my anxiety. Um, instead, uh, what Paul does, instead of just saying, keep telling yourselves these things, uh, he reminds us that whatever difficulties and pain comes our way, whatever problems we create for ourselves, whenever people intend evil towards us, uh, whenever, whenever sin overwhelms us, whenever we feel like we are uh, losing control of things, uh, that God is infinitely more powerful than all of those things. Uh, uh, so there's no uh, smooth transition here, but I will just say, I will actually have you raise your hands. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Jumanji? Not the 1990s film. I know, some just went down. The new film, The Rock, uh, Kevin Hart, yes, good, a few of you. Okay, if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, go, go watch it. Uh, after, after this great uh, illustration, you're going to want to watch it. Uh, so without spoiling it for, for anyone, uh, the movie starts off with a nerdy, insecure teenager, a jock, a cheerleader, and an outcast, all of the stalwarts of a good teen movie. Uh, they, they all get pulled into a video game, and in the game, uh, the nerdy, insecure teenager becomes The Rock. Uh, if you don't know who The Rock is, that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, one of the largest, strongest men in the world. Uh, uh, a former, former college football player, former pro wrestler, current actor in every possible big-budget action movie. Uh, so this kid becomes uh, the, the, the Rock, and in the midst of it, he then uh, has to accomplish impossible tasks, 
save his friends, and in the midst of it, he finds out who he truly is. Uh, the, the, the confidence that was always there deep down inside uh, makes its way out and shows it, and everybody rallies around him and respects him, and, and everything's changed for the better. Now, uh, uh, so since I'm allowing you to get to know me a little bit uh, in the midst of this, uh, I will, I will show you uh, what I look like uh, in, in middle school and high school. Uh, and so when I am the one on, on the left, uh, if you're questioning, uh, that, that's me. Um, uh, if you look like this in middle school and high school, you are, you are consistently watching movies that have this theme, uh, desperately wanting uh, everybody around you, waiting for that day that everyone would see that deep down inside, the rock was just waiting to bust out. Um, I, I've gotten about as close as I can. I think I can faithfully say at 40, I, this is as good as it gets. So... Um, uh, but this is the kind of confidence that we love. Uh, an underdog who is able to show that he's really what, what he's really made of. Uh, the nerd in high school who finds out their, their voice in college, finds out who they truly are. Uh, but this is not the kind of confidence uh, that Paul is trying to establish for us here. Uh, good, that's not there anymore. Good. Uh, uh, for some of you, uh, you, are, you are always wishing that you had this kind of confidence. You look around and see people with that kind of confidence and think, Yes, that's what I need. That's what I'm lacking. This is why I worry so much. Uh, I want to get that kind of uh, confidence. Uh, you, you, for others, uh, you, you already feel that confidence. You feel like you've been working on this for years. You feel secure in who you are, and you believe that that, that is what God intends for you, to get to that place. Uh, but Paul is writing to give us an everlasting confidence, an unshakable assurance, and we too easily settle for feeling more competent, having a thick skin, having a clear direction in life, uh, getting enough good things, career, home, family that make us feel secure. None of those are bad things, but they are not going to build the lasting confidence that we truly need. In fact, uh, they can very easily become the thing that, that we become anxious about. The more and more things we get in life, the more and more we're afraid we become uh, to lose those things. And so if we try to put our foundation on them, uh, we, we, will, we will find ourselves lacking at all time. Uh, the answer uh, to that question, is, is God truly for you, is that God is for you. Uh, and that means that your confidence is not dependent on you. Um, he says in, in chapter 8, verse 31, um, he starts this passage with, what can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, now, this is something we can't fully get into right now, uh, but when he says, what can we say to these things, um, he is actually looking back uh, on not just the verses right before that, but he's really looking back on the entire uh, letter at this point. He is bringing to kind of a grand culmination uh, what he's been uh, proving all along from chapters 1 uh, through the end of chapter 8. Uh, so these, these things is looking back on all that he has written. He has been proclaiming them to, to, to them the beautiful truth that God has given us his righteousness, that while we were still sinners, we were hostile towards God, that he has united us together with Christ that he sent Christ into the world to defeat the power of sin and death, that God has adopted us into his family, making us his children, his heirs, and that for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, that he works all things together for good. Um, so in the midst of that, once he is, has reminded us of all that he has done in Christ uh, to, to, to save us, uh, that we were enemies of God, that we were hostile towards God, uh, that he made us a part of his family, that he is going to work all things together for good, he then says, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? There is not an assumption there that it's, it's, it's possible that God is not for you. Um, for those that, are, that, are, that, that 
love him and are called according to his purpose. God is indeed for you, and, and no one can be against you. Isaiah uh, chapter 41, verse 10, uh, you can go ahead and uh, turn there, um, really helps us uh, in, uh, understand this well. Again, so many times we kind of focus in on those commands uh, that, that are throughout Scripture. So if you're, you, you grew up in the church, you grew up uh, with, with, with any of these things, it's easy to just hear again and again, don't worry, don't be anxious about anything. Um, I, I know when I was going through these things, a, a few people told me that. And all I could come back with was, yes, absolutely. I, I don't want to worry. I don't want to fear. I'm with you 100%. Uh, I do not want to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about the future and worried about the future. N nothing in me wants to do that. Uh, so there's no part of me uh, that is saying, I don't want to do those things. Uh, I, just, I just can't stop. I just can't not do this. So Isaiah cha uh, chapter 41, verse 10. Isaiah says, uh, fear not. Um, speaking, uh, this is God speaking to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, this, is, this is one verse of, of many, um, but, but all of them follow this same idea. Um, as much as we hear those commands to fear not, he says it twice in there. He says, fear not and do not be anxious. But around that, in that same verse, there are five sweet, wonderful cherished promises of who God is that build the foundation for, the, for how we can actually not be anxious. Because we can't just do it by telling ourselves again and again, stop worrying. He says, I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, God is for you. Um, he is doing all of this for you. He cares about you. He loves you. Uh, he will strengthen you. He will help you, and he will uphold you. Um, God is for us, so we don't have to be in control. Your confidence isn't dependent on you. Uh, many of us believe this in theory, uh, but, but practically speaking, we really have no concept of, of how to believe this. Uh, we like to be in control, even if, we're, even if we're filled with anxiety. We still somehow like to be in control of it. We want to be the ones to overcome it. We want to be the ones to conquer it. Uh, uh, so we don't know practically how to, actually, how, to, how to actually just believe this and let that transform us. Uh, we, have, we have no concept uh, of these things. So uh, is... Uh, Cody Owens, uh, where are you? Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to pick on Cody um, a little bit, not much, and it's going to be in a complimentary way because he could lift me over my, his head and toss me across the street. So, um, uh, so, so Cody, Cody uh, works out. He lifts. He is a very, very strong person. So, so Cody, how much, how much can you lift? Is that the right way to say it? Like deadlift? I don't know if that's What? All right, that's more than I wrote down on my paper. That's what you were going to say. Okay, so if you didn't hear that, basically Cody and I can lift the same. We're about right on par. Uh, he, can, he can lift 515 pounds. That's, that's a lot. So, okay, so I, I don't know if this is actually accurate or not, but if I told you, Cody, that there is a rock outside that weighs 525 pounds, could you put a plan into action in the next six months or a year to, to try to, to work out, to, to do different things, to get to that place where you could lift 525? Yeah, I think so. 
Okay, okay, so, so I think so, that's good. If I told you that there's an 8,000-pound boulder outside uh, that, that I think would be awesome if you lift it over your head by the end of the year, could you put a plan into action for that? Okay, you don't think so. Maybe, but probably not. Uh, see, most of us, are, honestly, are, are dealing with uh, life, dealing with anxiety. Uh, in, in essence, like we were trying to add a little bit more weight to, to our routine. Our, our routine. Uh, the, the, if, if, if we said there was an 8,000 boulder outside, there'd be no place to start. Uh, there wouldn't be thoughts of, uh, you know, if I start eating this, if I, if I work out a little bit more, if I change my workout uh, a little bit, then I can get to that point. Um, so, so we're pretty preparing for basically for, for minor setbacks, minor disappointments. We're, we're preparing ourselves to get more confident. That's the best we can really do. And there's some good in that. Um, but honestly, when that 8,000 pound boulder comes crashing into our lives, uh, we have no idea what to do. Um, so, so for me, here's what happens uh, when something huge came into our life. And I was already dealing with anxiety. I was already dealing with uh, bitterness and it was feeling too heavy. Uh, for me, the anxiety was, was taking over. And so uh, once that happened, then I started to see huge boulders everywhere, whether, whether they were really there or not. Uh, the, the anxiety around past mistakes, boulder. The, the disappointment of not, not being able to do enough to change the world, boulder. Uh, the, the fear of, of somebody finding out something that I was trying trying to keep hidden, boulder. And then, and then the massive boulder of the, the uncertainty of the future just comes crashing down on top of it. And pretty soon you just feel completely surrounded and trapped by your anxiety and fear. You feel like there is no way out. You feel like there's nothing that you can do. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can muscle your way out of this. You can't do enough. Because to be honest, just so you know, sin isn't a passive thing, right? Uh, so James 1 uh, for, verses 14 and 15 uh, describes sin uh, in this, it, it says, uh, but each one uh, is tempted when by his own evil desire he is lured away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Um, this, is, this is an active kind of disgusting picture. Uh, Genesis 4, 7 says that, that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Um, sin isn't satisfied with just getting you to worry a little bit, uh, to, to fear a little bit. It's not satisfied with getting you to doubt God a little bit or doubt yourself and your faith a little bit. Uh, it is working to get you to completely doubt and question everything about God. It's working to get you to stay up late at night worrying about the things that might never come to pass. It's working to try to get you so consumed with fear of this world that you aren't able to do anything that God has called you to do. Um, it is desperate to try and keep you from from the, uh, from the plans that God has for you. Uh, so, so our fight isn't to try and convince ourselves that these things that, that shake us really don't matter or aren't really a big deal. Uh, the, the battle is to believe and trust and enjoy that God is truly for you and that he has already done everything that you need. Uh, look at all that he has done in these verses, verses 32 through 34. Sometimes we, we talk about this in community and other places. Uh, we, we say, look at a piece of scripture and let's, let's think about what does it say about God and what does it say about us. These verses say a lot about God. Uh, God is doing a lot in, 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 these, in, in this passage and we are just simply uh, receiving in this passage. Uh, it says, 
that God did not spare his own son, that God gave him up for, for us all, that God is the one that justifies, that Jesus is the one that died. Um, there was a level of sacrifice uh, at the cross that we couldn't possibly understand. Um, we, we take emotion sometimes out of the Bible. We read things without emotion most of the time uh, because it's not really described emotionally. But, but if you can understand the grief and the sorrow that was going into this, um, then we can start to understand how much God was really willing to, to do for us. There was so much uh, suffering involved in the cross, um, and yet it says that God, that God was actually pleased to bruise his own son, to put him to grief. And, and for Christ, we're told that, it be, that he became obedient, that he did the will of his Father. And Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering and despised the shame. Uh, he cried out to his father in the garden for any other way. It actually says, being in agony, he cried out to his father. He despised it. He was suffering. He was, he was in agony. Uh, these weren't things that he was simply looking at and saying, uh, these, this is no big deal. Uh, this, this doesn't really matter. It's, 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 it's okay. I can, I, can, I can get past it. Just stop worrying. Uh, it, he was in agony. So from a human perspective, uh, honestly, like... Hearing that, that, that Christ cried out to, to his father, uh, saying, why would you abandon me, being in agony? From a human perspective, I, I, I can't imagine this. I would do anything and everything I could to keep my son or my daughter from pain. I would do anything and everything I could. Um, and I know that this is not less true with God. God is a much greater father. God is a, a much uh, better at this. Um, he loves much more. Um, and yet there was, there, was, there was actual joy involved in this process that God felt in saving his people and not condemning a people that deserved it. Um, and at the greatest cost imaginable, he put a plan into action that would, that would show the extent of his love towards you. Um, and then it says that Jesus was raised. He is at the right hand of God. He is interceding for us. He is the one who has loved us. He is the one that keeps us. And that means that since God has done all of it, that it cannot be taken away from you. Wherever our confidence it fa is found, it can only truly be confidence. It can only truly be security if you can't lose it. If you can lose it, then you can't actually find any, any real lasting confidence in it. If you can mess it up, if it can be taken away from you, then it's not true confidence. That means your, your, your house, your career, your friends, your family, um, everything that, that works so many times to give us purpose in life, as great as they are, cannot be the source of your confidence in this life. The love that God has for you and the love that God has shown us in sending His Son to die on the cross is, is infinitely greater than your fears, your insecurity, your doubts, and your anxiety. The love that God has for you is greater than all these things. In your mind, in your heart, it often feels like nothing's bigger than this right now. Nothing's bigger in the world than this. But the love that Christ has for you is infinitely greater than those things. Uh, now let me tell you just quickly what this doesn't do. God doesn't say there isn't anything to worry about. Uh, one of the most famous passages that remind us to not fear is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a beautiful passage. Christ is, is speaking, um, and, and he starts talking about how much God takes care of, of the birds and the lilies of the field, and how is he not going to take care of you. Um, and at the end of the section, he says this, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, 
Now, I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound encouraging to me. Uh, if, if, uh, if I came to you and you said, hey, I'm really worried about some, some things that are coming up next week, and I said to you, man, don't worry about tomorrow. There's lots to fear today. Um, <laughs> that, that actually wouldn't be an encouraging thing. I wouldn't think, yeah, okay, good. Um, uh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, that, so, so in the midst, he doesn't tell us that there's nothing to worry about. But that's often how we deal with it with ourselves and others. We try to diminish the things that we're worry, worried about. I remember uh, uh, hearing a speaker at a conference uh, uh, say, you know, we shouldn't be so surprised that, that so many people are dealing with anxiety and worry. Um, uh, we should be more surprised that more people aren't dealing with more anxiety and more worry. There's lots of things uh, to worry about. Listen to, the, uh, to this passage again in Romans 8. Listen just to, to the words that he describes here uh, in, in his list. Paul says, uh, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Um, that's, that, is, that is a terrifying list. Uh, Paul, in trying to build your confidence and trying to build your security, just makes a long list of some of the, some of the most frightening words imaginable and said all these are possible. Um, so it would be easy to look at Paul and say, you are, you are simply horrible at building confidence. Uh, you need to tell me that nothing is bad, that nothing is going to happen, that these things I'm worried about couldn't possibly happen. Um, not come up with a long list of things that could happen to me and just end on the sword. I wasn't even worried about the sword. I am now that you mentioned it, but I wasn't worried before. Uh, Paul, in writing to the church at, uh, at Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, if you want to turn there, uh, says these words. Um, and uh, as you turn there, I'll just, I'll just say that, that during this time, uh, I actually read this passage and it made me angry. Um, it, it made me frustrated at best, but, but probably closer to anger that they were in the Bible. Um, and so I, 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 you know, I'll be curious to see if you'll know the exact words that might have made me angry that they were, that they were in here. So 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says this, uh, We do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now let's st stop there. Can anyone tell me uh, which words might have made me uh, angry or frustrated during that time? Yeah, light. Yeah, momentary and light. Uh, uh, honestly, that's, that is, that, those, those words feel demeaning to me. One thing you don't want to do with people that are going through something, you know, huge in their life or experiencing, you, you don't necessarily need to demean what they're going through. And this, this felt, at the moment, uh, demeaning to me. Uh, if, if you were to to call uh, these things momentary and light, I, will, I would simply look at you and say, if this is a moment, it is an incredibly long moment. And if this is light, then, then honestly, I cannot bear the thought of what is, what is heavy. Um, if, if you were to say that to me, we would probably end that conversation. I would walk away um, in the midst of it. You would wonder what happened. Uh, or I would stand there and listen to everything that you said and then think that night, about all the things that I wish I would have said to you or all the things I will say to you the next time I see you. Um, that's, that's where I was at. And yet there it is in the Bible. And Paul, the one who says it, later describes his light momentary affliction. So uh, just turn a couple pages over. You might even be on the same page. Uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 10 um, says this. This is, this is Paul and what his momentary light affliction was. Uh, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, 
by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Uh, skip down to verse uh, 8. Honor and dishonor, slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet uh, as are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet uh, making many rich, is having nothing yet possessing everything. Um, that is what he was referring to when he was referring to momentary light affliction. He wasn't trying to demean what you're going through. He was talking about the beatings and imprisonments and the riots and the labor and the sleepless nights and the hunger and the poverty. And, and, and again and again, I, I, I cannot look at any of that. I would not look at any of that and refer to it as momentary light affliction, but him in light of what God had done for him and in light of who he understood God to be could see that. Uh, that's a long long list of things, honestly, that if any of them happened to you would easily bring about fear, anxiety, insecurity, lack of confidence in whether or not God really cares for you. And yet his point isn't to put down what you're going through. It is to magnify something far greater that is being prepared for you, that eternal weight of glory that he talks about uh, in, in, in chapter 4, that there is an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison, that is not transient but is eternal, that the things that overwhelm us are real, they are difficult, they really do hurt, they are immeasurably hard at times, but they are transient. They are not eternal. They have no grip on you that will go with you into eternity. They have no hold on you that will go with you into everlasting life. They will not hold on to you forever. They cannot. They do not have that power. But in fact, Christ alone has that grip on you, that God has that grip on you and that will hold you securely and confidently into eternity. Um, that, is, that is how you can look at that and say momentary light affliction um, in the midst of all of that. During that time that I went through, I remember feeling, honestly, I just had this mental picture. I, I work in mental pictures. Um, I, 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 I thought that my life was basically like a yo-yo, that I was being bounced up and down by God for no apparent reason. I, I believe that he was still active in this. He was still a part of it. Um, he, it just seemed to be going from, from bad thing to bad thing with an occasional something good thrown in. Um, I remember feeling like I felt like I was doing everything I could to grab and scratch my way to something secure. I felt like I was fighting my way back into his hands. And in the middle of that, I read John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Um, it says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Again, I, I, we, we, don't, we don't put emotion to this, um, but don't just read this coldly or, or just, just very calmly. Um, if, if you're talking about your children and you're trying to build their confidence, if you're talking to someone that you love dearly and you want to build their confidence and you say something like, no one will snatch them out of my hands, you are looking at everything else in the world and daring them to come. Um, daring them to try to do anything and just saying there is no chance, there is no, not a possibility that anything will snatch them out of my hands. That's how he's talking about it. He is talking about a, a possession that he loves, that he cares about, and he will never let out of his hands. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't scratching my way back into the Father's hands. I felt like it, uh, but I was being held perfectly secure in the hands of Christ, in the hands of God the Father. Uh, you see that when he says then uh, that, that nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of Christ, that means that you can't do it either. 
God does not look at you day by day, moment by moment, deciding if he is going to love you or not. This is what gets into our heads. We are worried. We, we are always worried. God is not looking at you moment by moment, day by day, deciding if he is going to love you or not. In, in God's eternal purpose, he has loved you. He has saved you. He will keep you. God set a plan into motion before all of this started to, to, to send his son into this world to save you. Um, that, is, that is who God is. Um, so you don't have to think every day, every moment, is, does God still love me? Does God still care about me? God sent his son to die for you when you were completely lost in sin and described as an enemy of God. Romans, says, Romans 8 says now that you are a child of God. You have been made a part of the family of God. You are no longer an enemy, but a son and a daughter. So how is he possibly going to reject you now or refuse you grace and mercy now? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, we were enemies and God sent his son to die for us. Uh, we, we were hostile towards God. We loved the darkness and God sent his son into this world to, to, to show how much he loves us. And yet now we are called children. Now we are called sons and daughters. Now we've been adopted. We've been made heirs. Surely now he is not going to withhold any good, gracious thing from us. Um, how, how will he not give us, graciously give us all things? Um, uh, so what doesn't this mean? It doesn't mean that your problems aren't real and they don't matter. And as the church, honestly, we would love to know how we can pray and come alongside of you in the midst of trials and, and the difficulties that you are experiencing. We'd love to know there's, you can use your bulletin, write down something, a, a prayer request, anything, drop in one of those boxes, let someone know. We would love to know those things. We would love to come alongside of you and care for you in that way. Um, so it doesn't mean that your problems aren't real. It also doesn't mean that you can say, good, okay, so I can just live however I want to and it doesn't matter. Fantastic. Uh, that, that is never the response of a Christian. That is never the response to someone who believes and understands the grace of God. You don't look at God's grace and say, great, this was wonderful. Uh, I can do whatever I want. Paul in Romans 6 says it this way. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, Paul builds such an incredible case for how beautiful and wonderful the grace of God is uh, that, that he anticipated that someone would say, man, that is great. So, so I'm just going to keep on sinning so that we can keep taking this in. Um, that is never the heart of, of a Christian. He says, he says, by no means, or God forbid, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, you will still sin, but you should never live in it, love it, hold it dear to, to your heart, um, hold it close to you. We should long for and cry out to be completely set free from sin. Um, so it doesn't mean that your problems aren't real. It doesn't mean that you can say, I can just do whatever I want to do. It also doesn't mean that you need to go out uh, later today and preach a sermon to somebody that you know is, is dealing with anxiety or fear. Um, sometimes as, as Christians, we get so worried that we are uh, not going to speak the truth that we try to get it out of our mouths as soon as possible. Uh, uh, somebody shares with you something heavy that they're going through. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. And you're like, hey, God said don't fear anything. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, somebody says, hey, you know, I, I got some, I got, I got to go see the doctor next week. I'm not sure what's going to come at it. And you're just like, God takes care of the birds, man. Don't worry about it. Don't forget those birds. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't need to tell people right away, don't, don't worry about anything. Are you really trusting God right now? Put that, tr put that question in, in their heads. Um, if you know someone who is dealing heavily with this right now, listen to them 
ask questions, have compassion, weep with them, uh, know that it's going to go on for a while. Uh, when, when in the story of, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, Lazarus dies, uh, and Jesus is not there to, to stop that from happening. Uh, his sisters, uh, Martha and Mary, wanted him to be. And his sisters see Jesus coming, and they go, uh, Martha goes out immediately. Uh, Mary asks the same question later on, um, but asks this question uh, to, to Jesus and saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary, Mary asked the same question. So, so just so you know, that means that they were probably talking about this for the last three or four days. They probably kept saying to each other, if Jesus had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. Um, again, we don't put emotion to this, but just know when, when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It wasn't a cold statement. It wasn't a bland statement. Um, this, is, this is at a time and a place uh, where, where the grieving process would have been huge, real, uh, and, and it may meant a lot to them. Uh, so we read these things without emotion tied to them. But, but in truth, uh, this statement showed that she truly did believe in, in Christ and the power that he, that he had. Um, she knew that he could, he could have stopped this. Um, but but she, also, she also is kind of accusatory in this. She is confused. She is hurt. Um, she wants to know why. Why didn't you come when we asked you to? And yet Jesus doesn't give a long sermon about their lack of faith. He doesn't, he doesn't spend a lot of time saying, you know, oh, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? Um, he, he weeps with them. He is moved with compassion. Um, uh, we need to be able to do all these other things that God has for us in the Bible. Uh, it's good to be to remind people of the truth. It's good to remind people of these truths. Um, but there's so many other things that God has called you to do for those around you, for those who are hurting. And you are free to do those things. You are free to do those in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way that cares about them um, and helps them. Uh, uh, and, and what this does mean is that if you are dealing with these things, you need to turn to Christ today. You need to run boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, I love that passage. And for years, I, I, I just thought, you know, it was built on the fact that, I, you know, I was just running as hard as I can. In reality, uh, the, the fact that we run boldly to the th throne of grace has nothing to do with how bold we are. Uh, it has nothing to do with how well we can run. It has... Uh, only to do with the fact that there is nowhere else to run, uh, that this will not be found anywhere else, that only uh, at, at God's throne can we find the grace and mercy that we need. Uh, so, then, so then we run. So, so, so for me, this is important because during that time, uh, I felt justified in my worry. I felt justified in my fear. These were real things that I was dealing with, and I was mad about it. Um, so I felt justified about these things. But because I felt justified in them, they easily became bitterness and anger. Um, they, they affected my relationships. They reflect, uh, impacted how I was living. Um, they, become a, they became a part of me. Those things took hold of my heart. Um, you need to know that there is security. There is comfort. We, we need to encourage you and strengthen you as the church. But ultimately, repentance is not simply turning away from your sin. It is also about confidently turning to God. So, so when you hear those words, you say, man, I, I want to turn away from my fear. I want to turn away from my, my anxiety. But we don't, we don't know how to do the other part of that well. Um, we need to turn confidently to God. Um, we want to be set free from them. So we keep trying to turn away from them in various ways, in different ways. We keep trying to turn away from them. Uh, but we have no confidence to turn towards God and trust in Him. Uh, so the question really isn't how, how we can personally overcome each of these things with Christ's help. 
Uh, so many times when we hear things like, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, uh, we feel like that means that, that if Jesus and I team up, we can t- take down any obstacle. That me and Jesus together, we're, we're a good team. Uh, the question isn't, how do you become confident enough to accomplish this? You can quit asking yourself, how can I become confident enough to over- overcome these things? The better question is really, how can we possibly continue to trust in God in the face of anything? This, this is the better, more honest statement. Uh, the better question is, how can we possibly continue to trust in God in the face of any of this? The answer is, we can't. Apart from Christ, when famine or trials or loss or accusations, or all this suffering comes at us, we will not be able to keep ourselves from falling away from God. We cannot keep ourselves from losing our faith. We ask ourselves, is our faith strong enough to endure these things? Do I love Christ enough to make it through this suffering? Um, We can stop looking at ourselves and asking, am I strong enough to endure this? And simply ask yourself, ask yourself when you're going through these things, can the love that Christ has for me endure these past failures? Can the love that Christ has for me endure what, what, I, what, I've, what, I've, what I'm doing presently? Can, can the love that Christ has for me endure my present questioning, my present doubt? Uh, can the love that Christ has for me endure the uncertainty I feel about the future? And the answer again and again is that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Remind yourselves of that. Be, trust in that completely. When you are, are turning to those things, remember again and again that whatever you are suffering, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Um, we're going to uh, give you a couple of minutes uh, to reflect on this. Uh, we're going to have some questions uh, up on the screen. Uh, we would encourage you to reflect on uh, now and, and maybe throughout the week. Um, and then in, in a few minutes, you will be invited to come and celebrate and remember what God in Christ has done for you. Uh, we will respond by, by taking communion together. As you hear the, those beautiful words, the, the body of Christ offered for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, and you will take the bread and you will dip it into the juice. And, and you can rejoice at, at, at knowing this, this incredible truth that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Father, thank you for this uh, incredible truth this morning. I pray uh, consistently that we would uh, seek after you, that we would know you, that we would trust in the fact uh, that it is you and you alone uh, that, that, that can keep us uh, in, in, in our faith, that can keep us in, in understanding your love. I, I pray that we would turn again and just remind ourselves, um, preach to ourselves of how great your love is and that nothing can separate us from that love. Remind us of that this week. Remind us of that today. Remind us of that as we, as we go through difficulties and trials. Uh, remind us of your great love. Um, we thank you for it and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.